Hello and welcome to the Small Firms Association podcast. Well, today Brian Smith is joining us and Brian is founding member and managing director of Maybe International. Brian has over 20 years experience helping organizations in different parts of the world, helping them to achieve new levels of performance, of success and overall well-being. He's written two books. The first, Managing to be Human, explains how it's possible to lead and manage with integrity and, and effectiveness. His latest book, Your Beautiful Life, a Gift, was written to help people make the most of their everyday. Well, today we're going to be talking about something that's really important and fundamental to most businesses, and that's training and upskilling. Training can be a waste of time and money, some think, but it doesn't need to be. First of all, Brian, will you tell us what you mean mean by wasting time and money on training? What do people mean by that? Yeah, well, what I mean may be slightly different, but have you often or ever been like me in, in an hotel, maybe perhaps queuing for a coffee or tea, and you see a horde of course participants uh, on some program, complete with name tags, descend on the restaurant? I don't know if you've been there. I see it all the time. And they, they, they look tired and they, they look relieved to be finally released from the prison of some conference room with its projector, its, its screen and other tools of torture. They certainly don't look to be enjoying themselves. And they don't look very enthused or excited about what they have just heard or experienced. I squirm when I find myself in these situations because I have so often myself being the torturer uh, with my tools of projector, uh, screen, uh, flip charts, etc. But what causes me to squirm is, is not the quality of the programs I deliver. I know people enjoy them. And the feedback has often been that they were the best courses they ever experienced, that they were enjoyable and immensely beneficial, etc. My squirming or discomfort comes from a different place. It's about what happens after they leave the room, however enthused, convinced and apparently committed they may be about putting into practice what we have covered when I'm with them. Okay, well, even if they have or they haven't squirmed, or maybe they have enjoyed it, um, why don't they put it back when they, when they go back to the workplace? Is it just the environment or what happens there? Yeah, uh, I, this is, I don't think this is because what we have covered and what they have learned isn't practical or applicable. I think we work very hard to make sure that it is. Uh, it's because there's a different issue or problem at work. Learnings on a course or program get lost in translation. I know this is a universal problem and that from the enormous vast sums of money invested in training pipelines, only a trickle comes out the far end in terms of application and implementation and changes in behaviour and performance. In view of this, it makes no sense and would be a great pity and quite foolish to keep throwing good money after bad. And we don't need to. We have to up the return rate on training and upskilling and development, and we can. And how do we get a better return on training? In, you know, how can we do this? Well, one of the mistakes that I've seen companies make in the past has been to arrange and, uh, and set up training programs for people. That may sound strange. And this is perfectly understandable, of course. People can't easily go around asking for training. And very often they don't even know what training they need. 
So training plans and schedules are prepared and people happily go along with them. The problem is that it then becomes a bit like a sheep dip where people have things done to them. While not exactly passive, very often there is more passivity than proactivity in a typical training room. Things are being done to people. People are on the receiving end. Yes, very often there are exercises and people are involved, but the program and the agenda are driven from the front of the room. Hence the weary and worn out participants that I mentioned earlier escaping for the freedom of a coffee break that we talked about. We need to and we can change this dynamic by putting the ball and the ownership firmly and clearly back in the court of the participant or the learner. And this alone can make all the difference in the world to a person's learning and their application of what they learn. And what do you mean by the, the application? Although I must say sometimes there's more learning comes at that coffee break when people stop and reflect and have, have a chance to think about things, uh, you know, and interact and, and talk about how it meant for each other. But like, how can we put the ball back in, in the court of the participant and give them ownership of whatever training we provide? Yes, I mean, you're right about the coffee break. Meaningful conversations and more meaningful conversations can happen like there. Like the reflection that they would have had. Yeah, and, and very often they, 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 they escape into topics about last night's game or, or Brexit or some other conversation to get relief from what they have been talking about (laughs) Uh, but but to answer your question there are two ways of getting the ball back in their court Um, and uh, if you you could imagine these kind of on a spectrum rather than on a clear and discrete either or or black and white or on off format one way that we learn is through discovery sometimes we learn from pure discovery No one taught you to walk or talk. You observed, you listened, and you learned, and you wanted to learn, and you learned in your own unique way. The other way we learn at the opposite end of the spectrum is through instruction. Now, while I learned to ride a bicycle through discovering the art of balancing those two narrow wheels by getting speed up, I was instructed on how to fix a puncture on my bike. Somebody showed me the step-by-step process and probably corrected me when I was getting it wrong. There are, as you will appreciate, great benefits from the discovery approach. I mean, firstly, you will never forget how to talk or how to walk or even how to ride a bicycle. It becomes part of you. It is you. You may, on the other hand, forget some of the steps involved in fixing a puncture or worse still, never really grasped them properly in the first place. This can be because because you had a poor instructor who jumped steps or presumed too much on your understanding of words that they were using or the rationale for the approach, etc. Or it could have been your fault because you weren't paying enough attention or because you weren't sufficiently interested in the first place. Well, I suppose it's a bit like people who, who are good with technical stuff or the, with a bike and they will take it all completely apart and then put it all back little bit by little bit. There is that sort of discovery element and just figuring it out for yourself. Um, why is it so important that we use a kind of a discovery approach? What difference does it make? Yeah, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. 
uh, and, and it's important that we give it attention because despite the great and many advantages of learning through discovery that we've talked about, most times we abandon it for the, the easier and more obvious and apparently quicker approach of instruction. Just tell them, just show them, just give it to them. At least we know it's done then. Yeah, and I, I take it from my full head into your empty head and I, I've deposited the, the, the information or the skills in there and it seems straightforward. We know, they, they don't know, so we let them know. But because they may not be sufficiently interested or because they don't pay enough attention or because they misunderstand what we are telling them or because they forget it, the traditional instruction route is seriously flawed which is why seeing training programs in operation makes me squirm because I fear not much, not much will subsequently change or happen as a result. And it's for that reason that we need to establish our training and skilling on the principles of discovery rather than instruction so that people really want to learn and are fully and proactively engaged in the activity of learning rather than being passive recipients of so-called knowledge or information. But, but what would a person need to make that kind of change happen? To achieve this, we need to be convinced, fully conversant and comfortable with the philosophy, skills and processes of coaching. coaching real coaching. Moment, yeah. yeah, well, real coaching. And there's all kinds of versions of coaching and some of them not all that helpful are not all that different from telling and instructing. We get the image of the a coach on the sideline bellowing instructions to players on the field and we can use that particular model. But real coaching is a powerful way to not only educate and teach but to communicate, relate and influence on a normal basis. We don't have time to cover all the riches of coaching here save to say that it's the most effective way of ensuring that the ownership and responsibility for learning remains with the other person. Then they want to learn, which makes all the difference. The skilled use of coaching will turn every communication, every question, every problem into a learning opportunity. It's, it, it's tempting and very easy when a person arrives with a question or problem to you to give them the answer. It can seem faster and more effective. If we have the wisdom and patience to handle the question of problem or problem in a coaching way, then every situation becomes a training and learning one. Everyone, every day becomes a learning day. And, but uh, how do you go about coaching and is, it, is coaching really that important? Does it have that strong an impact? Yes, it, it is that important. It's fundamental. It's fundamental to how we communicate on a normal basis, that we listen to the other person and work inside their heads instead of inside our own view of the world. One of the big advantages of coaching is that it encourages and gets the person to want to learn, as I've said. Now, this can be helped and formalized through what I call a learning buckets development system. This means that for every person in any position in your company, you will help and get them to become clear about what is involved in doing their jobs. When you have done this 
and you're both clear and in agreement on this, then you will get them to identify what are the six or ten areas of expertise that they need in order to successfully carry out their responsibilities. It's important that they do this so that, so that they have theirs. And of course, you can add to their list if you think, see things that are missing, and you'll do this in a coaching and responsibility-giving way. A maintenance engineer, for example, or mechanics learning buckets might include, uh, of course, the list of machinery or equipment they need to understand, but it could also include things like operating systems, safety and other procedures, key personnel in the company, problem solving, communications and relationships, management, costing and finance, etc. All buckets of learning for the maintenance engineer or mechanic. Then once you and they have prepared and agreed this list, you can then agree where the person is currently at in terms of knowledge and familiarity on each of the learning buckets. What this achieves is that everything that is done then becomes part of the learning for one of these buckets. Every problem or difficulty that arises in the course of a day or week is a fresh opportunity for the person to improve their learning or development in one of their learning buckets. Everything that goes wrong, every mistake, gets converted into a learning. Regular reviews of how they are doing in each of their learning buckets will ensure that they remain focused on learning. And of course, these learnings will be discovery ones, ones that they will, as we said earlier, never forget because they will become part of them. And what would you say to uh, like a small firm owner who say, well, that's very fine and, and dandy for a big company that can afford to engage in the whole buckets uh, concept and discovery. But I'm just running a small business here with maybe 10 employees and I don't think I have time for it. And um, what would you say to them to address yeah. that? Yeah, I see. Uh, I, I have a local garage where I buy my petrol and get punctures fixed and other little small things done, etc., and so that manager in there, his little business, he's got maybe four or five people at most. He doesn't have time for training programs. But what I see when I go into the shop or go in with my car is that people are coming to him asking him questions. And he gives them an answer. Go and do this or tell that, la, 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 la. Every one of those conversations and questions is an opportunity for him to coach them and say, what do you think? Or how would you do it? Or where are you at? Or what's happening? Or what might you do, etc." But he misses all of those. So they go off out as ignorant as going out and as lacking in confidence going out as they were coming in. And this kind of parent-child, superior-inferior, knowing-not-knowing dynamic continues. But he's missing 10 or 20 opportunities every day to develop his people. If that person had a list of the areas that they need to be to be a good puncture mender or um, um, car washer or whatever it is. They just had their tent be nice to customers or welcome customers, etc. Et if they had those buckets, then everything that happens would become a learning experience and would make them feel good about themselves and be able to make a better contribution and free him up to do other things rather than barking out answers for all so these That's like people. incremental learning. So you're building on learning all the time and developing people that way. Absolutely. And based on what's happening, and they are doing the learning. They are interested in it because it is they who are asking the question and they who are immediately applying the learning so they won't forget it.
Okay. But does that mean that we don't have any formal training or we won't be sending people on any courses at all anymore? No, 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 no. Uh, this certainly won't be the only way that people learn. Uh, and there certainly is a place for formal or online training uh, as well. But courses, when people do attend them, they have to be well used. Uh, I see this being misused all the time. Courses are opportunities for everybody to learn. And so on completion of a course, individuals should have the opportunity and responsibility to share their learning with others. So suppose in the example I gave that that person goes on a course to, to, to handle some piece of equipment uh, that they use in the, in, the, in the garage, then he could come back and show people what he learned on the course so the learning gets shared. And this will both help his or her own learning as well as spreading what they learned among more people. And doing this then creates a whole learning culture, even in this small, small little company, this little garage. And then these sessions where people meet to share learnings or discuss issues can be used as learning forums. So meetings and sessions where, you know, where real and concrete topics are discussed and a culture of continuous learning and improvement gets introduced and institutionalized. And you can imagine the difference that will make to people's dignity and pride and self-esteem and confidence. So important to work contribution. Yeah. And it's I presume there's a ripple effect of that. I mean, I know Absolutely. somebody who did a defensive driving course as part of their work with a big international oil company. But not only did they, they spread the learning within their employees, but they spread it with their, their family. So they learned to be defensive drivers, you know, in the countryside on cold days when there's ice in the road. So there's always yeah. ripple effect learning, isn't there? Absolutely. And the, the people hearing it learn and the person by having to explain it deepens their own learning. They, they, they deepen their learning and their understanding of what they learned if I have to explain to somebody else. This approach to training and upskilling, and it is a different approach, means that people are no longer seen as passive, empty vessels that need to be filled with knowledge and skills, but instead are seen as active and intelligent human beings with the capability to do great things and make outstanding contributions to the welfare of an organisation. And you, you can see that it's an approach that's based on respect for people. Not, not simply respect, I don't mean respect in terms of treating people nicely, but respect in terms of treating people as rich, creative human beings with lots of potential. Remember what Goethe said, treat people as they are and they will remain as they are. Treat people as they can and should be and they will become as they can and should be. And this, to me, is the highest form of training and of skilling that you will find and one that will make the greatest contribution to any organisation and to people themselves. OK, that's great. Um, you know, I love all your, your key themes there of respect and just appreciating the, the creativity and the potential that people have. So I think some of our takeaways are some of those key words, uh, respect, discovery, coaching, and buckets. <laughs> I'm going to remember the buckets for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Brian's been very enlightening. Um, and Brian is founding member and managing director of Maybe International. Can I just ask you a quick question? Why Maybe International? Maybe is about, it's a long story behind it. We'll just give the edited highlights yeah, then. Yeah, I will. Maybe is about possibilities. 
maybe we can all be better. Maybe our business could be 50%, twice as good as it currently is. Maybe we could take on new products and services. Maybe we could be wonderful. Maybe we could handle our people so that they're really engaged and committed. So maybe it's about possibilities, and we believe that these possibilities are there to be realized in companies. They're always realized. Just one last sentence. We, we look back at people 30 years ago, and they thought they were doing everything possible and they'd never thought of what China could become and phones could become, etc, etc, etc. So they were wrong back then about what they thought was possible. And we can look back and say they were very old, very old back then and they're very silly compared to us. We're wrong now too. There's loads possible that we don't see. So we're about re helping people to realise just how much more is possible and to go after it. And to grow and scale as uh, the Small Firms Association is, yeah. is planning to do. All thank about you. that. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, that's all from the Small Firms Association podcast for today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on your own podcast provider, on your mobile, on your mobile phone, on your tablet or your laptop. And you can also find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on the, our own website sfa.ie and on LinkedIn and SoundCloud and Facebook. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti and all the team here in the Small Firms Association, goodbye, take care and good listening. Mm-hmm.